Welcome to the Thriving Forward podcast. Now to introduce your hosts. Hi, I'm Megan Laspinera. I'm the founder and executive director of Kids Thrive 585 Inc. and a pediatrician in Rochester, New York. And I'm Sarah Collins McGowan. I'm also a pediatrician here in Rochester, and I teach community health and advocacy to pediatric residents. In each episode, we will speak with people involved in good works and projects in the greater Rochester area. We hope that by introducing you to these inspirational people and their stories, you will be motivated to learn more about these amazing organizations in our region and the fabulous people who keep them working. November is Prematurity Awareness Month. On this episode of the podcast, we welcome Carla Levant. She has been a social worker at Galisano Children's Hospital for 34 years and in the neonatal intensive care unit for the last 15 years. Carla has a bachelor's in social work from Syracuse University and a master's in social work from New York University. Her graduate placement was at NYU Medical Center on the acute pediatric floor. She has an interest in family systems and a focus on family-centered care. She has co-facilitated the Galasano Children's Hospital Parent Advisory Council for 20 years and one specific to NICU issues for the last 15 years. Carla, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So we like to start with talking about something that you're into lately. It can be anything like food, clothes, music. I know during the pandemic, people's um, interests have changed. So uh, what is something that you're into lately? Um, not much new, but... With a little extra time on my hands, I've, I've picked up more of my craft hobbies, which tend to be knitting and rug hooking this time of year. So those have been taking up my time. What size rugs? That sounds very interesting. They're, you know, eight by 10 or just small sized floor rugs. And it's the old fashioned strip the wools and use a hook and not the ones you get at Michael's with the little yarns, but um, people have drawn patterns and it's really impressive. I work with some amazing women who are incredible artists and watching them use this wool and make facial expressions and things like that on rugs. It's been really remarkable. That's amazing. Um, so November is prematurity awareness month. Mm-hmm. Can you help us understand what prematurity is and then why the neonatal intensive care unit comes into play for premature family for families with premature babies mm-hmm. so our neonatal intensive care unit uh, here has 68 beds it's part of the children's hospital there's a total of 148 or so in the whole children's tower and for the NICU um, any baby born really past 23 weeks gestation um, can come into the NICU because we, um, along with parents agreeing, um, can do life-saving measures to see if those children can thrive uh, based on that level of prematurity. So those are pretty young and those kids, uh, those babies will be in the NICU for the duration of their need to be here. could be up to their length of stay up to when they would be considered full term. So that kind of a preemie stay can be up to 10, 12 weeks and sometimes months if the babies have um, need to be here longer than that. Typically, the earlier you're born from your gestational 40-week date could be the longer that you need to be here after that just because the lungs just haven't really developed. Um, you need to do some serious growing and gaining, and it's a bigger challenge to do that outside of the room, clearly, than inside. Um, and our team really has done a remarkable job of um, running some research over the years and determining what kind of interventions 
levels of oxygen, things like that can really improve an outcome for a baby. The NICU um, will take children from 17 regional hospitals. So we also can take babies that are born um, as far as the Pennsylvania border, sometimes north to Watertown, up to Buffalo, um, split the half difference with Syracuse, depending on the specialty that babies needs. Um, sometimes if those babies have cardiac issues, they tend to come to Rochester because Dr. Alfieri's is our cardiac surgeon that does the smallest babies. Um, and some of our other surgeons have specialty in certain areas, so sometimes families will often choose to come here. We have the ability to do something called ECMO, which allows us to really help um, the littlest babies who need um, more lung improvement to have some sort of um, process where we can pull the blood, give the heart and lung a chance to recover and let the machine do most of the work. But it's a significant treatment and not every hospital can do it. So we very often have children um, that we know are going to be born with significant complexities come to Rochester because they know they may anticipate that treatment and want to do that here. So as you can imagine, that length of stay for a preemie baby is pretty significant. Um, it's not typically what you expect. It's rare that um, women and parents think that they're going to deliver at 23, 24 weeks. Um, on occasion, we have mothers who are um, aware that they have some complication that might cause an early delivery, and they might be on our unit, on our OB floor, on bed rest um, for circumstances awaiting admission. Um, but very often, it's kind of a last-minute surprise and can really leave parents overwhelmed when they get here. This, this stay um, becomes more of a marathon and really requires families to develop a sense of a second household. Um, and sometimes that household can be a huge distance from home. The family is delivering a baby who's 24 weeks gestation and they live in Ithaca or they live in Dansville or they live in Watertown. This is a long way from home. So we really need to help them try to find a way to establish um, being here, being comfortable in the unit, understanding all of the issues of the medical vocabulary and what each machine does and be comfortable with participating in care with babies who are so tiny that have so many tubes and wires. Lots of parents report that it's absolutely terrifying. Um, it's their baby. They want to be involved, but... You just can't imagine what it's going to be like to try to touch a child and see them like that when it can be really heartbreaking to know that some of the decisions that you have to make um, clearly for life prolonging and sustaining a child to help them grow and gain um, are very hard for them sometimes. And what is the role of a social worker when it comes to assisting these very tiny little babies and their families while they're in the neonatal intensive care unit, while they're in this premature period? Yeah. So our role, uh, and I'm one of three, and we have a very large unit, so it's very helpful that there's some, we have the ability to get a smaller population and be able to get to know these families very well. So we need everybody that comes into the NICU uh, who needs to stay for any period longer than 24 hours. Sometimes babies just need a quick transition and then we'll go. But we talk to family at the beginning and we find out what are their needs going to be? Some of our families live local, have lots of family support, have some medical background, may have a good understanding of things, feel pretty confident about what their baby's doing, and may need just a little bit of education about our visitation rules and how you can make yourself comfortable here and what you're able to do. And sometimes we have families who come from great distance 
Some of these mothers may be younger. Some of these mothers may have um, made decisions about whether they wish to parent or not. So we will really join with the family and just help them with whatever their goals are for parenting this baby and help them see that through. So for a family that's coming from a distance where they're looking at months, we will help them stay close if they wish. We have 24-hour private room rooming in options. We also have a Ronald McDonald House, which is someone that we partner with very closely. Um, it's an amazing organization. The main Ronald McDonald House sits two blocks away. It's got 24 rooms. It's private with bathrooms. And it has a hospital shuttle that runs every half an hour. There's no charge to families. And the food is free, the laundry's free. And it's a really nice place to get support because everybody over there has a child here in the hospital somewhere. So it's huge for families to connect. Sometimes moms will take the shuttle over together and eat dinner together when they go back at night. It's really been a wonderful opportunity for families to develop some support and level of friendship when their babies are in the NICU together. The Ronald McDonald's Charities also uh, sponsors a very small house that's within the hospital, sits on the fifth floor of Strong Memorial, and we're one of, I think, five in the country that allows families to stay very close. And that unit is often shared with our surgical unit. So if a, a child or a baby is required surgery, um, families can be much closer in case there's a circumstance where we really need them at the bedside very quickly. So often we'll have families that are up there and then may transition across the street just to be able to stay at either Ronald McDonald House if going home just really doesn't make sense or they feel too far away. Um, under the current circumstances, they're not allowing extra visitors, but um, pre-COVID, you were able to bring other children with you and um, maybe have a, a weekend of it and kids could sort of get away and families could really reunite um, for the families that are really having to live at a distance. And then we work on discharge planning yeah. and what are safety requirements that requires. Um, medically, sometimes babies go home with a little NG tube, and that helps um, when you put a little, babies have to get some added nutrition through a tube that goes through their nose and into their stomach. They can still work on oral feeds and breastfeed. It just helps take the edge off of having to force calories on a baby that might be tiring. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes babies go home with a little extra help with oxygen. So we work with the team and their insurance coverage and make sure that we order things from the right place and that we help with training so that families are comfortable. If there's language barriers, we help make sure that there's translators. We use iPads and our translator phone system to make sure that folks have the information that they need so that when they get home, they're comfortable with that. We also do a level of support just to make sure that People are okay with this. Postpartum depression is a significant issue in NICU moms, partly because the level of exhaustion and just the added stress can sometimes make this much more complicated um, for families. And we make sure that if there's counseling that would be helpful or other supports, um, there's a NICU Facebook page where moms have been able to connect. We have weekly scrapbooking that we do in our lounge in the NICU where moms can come together and um, get supplies and make scrapbook pages. We have a group of NICU mothers who have come through the NICU um, over the years and they come back um, as volunteers and sort of cold call. They'll knock on a door, they'll visit moms in the NICU, share their experiences, listen to them about their circumstances. It, it's often that a mom will share her concerns or her experiences with another mother 
because sometimes you're not as comfortable sharing that with the medical team for fear of how you might be perceived. So that's, it's been a huge help to have our parent to parent group, which is what we call them also help uh, offer some level of support to our team as well. Have you been able to keep up that support, that parent to parent support, that camaraderie that you were describing between families? Do you feel like coronavirus has done anything to, to dampen or change any of that? Yeah, I think unfortunately it has um, shut down a lot of our ability to provide that group support. Um, we have just been given permission to bring our parent uh, support folks back. Um, we won't be able to pull a group together. They had provided dinner uh, in the evening twice a month, and that will have to wait. Um, our scrapbooking is more of a grab-and-go, unfortunately. Um, we have a very small lounge, uh, considering the size of our unit. Um, but parents have been able to go in there at mealtime and with some social distancing have been able to connect with each other. And um, they are allowed to, to introduce themselves and meet other folks on the unit. But we do, um, we have been hooking people up both with cell phone numbers and with uh, email addresses so that if a family's like, I would really love to talk to another mother who's contemplating a G-tube or contemplating going home with some other level of equipment that we've hooked them up specifically with other families who can give them their experiences with how that went for them. Do you think that there is something particular to families with premature babies that maybe other families with children with complex medical conditions don't necessarily have to deal with? Is there something, you know, extra that uh, families with premature babies are dealing with, do you think, besides just the unexpected, your baby came a couple of months early, potentially? Yeah, I, I think that there's a whole lot of, well, there's the whole maternal aspect. You, when you know you're pregnant, you read the book and there's phases of your pregnancy and your expectations for your experience. And a lot of the NICU mothers will really say that they feel that they let their baby down, that they're, they feel like they, they had done something that didn't allow them to carry their baby for the term that they had wished to. And I, I think that's a hard thing for, for mothers to feel the lack of guilt. I mean, any mother will know that anytime your child is in harm's way at any age, you're going to beat yourself up because you wonder what you could have done differently. And I think um, lots of the NICU moms come into this experience um, really overwhelmed that their pregnancy did not go to fruition to the way that they had expected it. And I think that that um, sort of as is an overlay for things like that. And I don't know that there's a difference between premature baby and babies with complexities. Any baby born prematurely is looking at some challenge, especially the earlier that they are. Um, and I think lots of times these families are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. When you're 23, 24, 25 weeks, there's a lot of things that can happen. And in the need for the docs to make sure that families can help process their information, be fully informed and help make decisions, we're pretty clear about what those challenges are going to be. And I think NICU parents just walk around with a heightened level of stress. I've, I've heard from another of mothers um, that just pulling into the parking garage um, sometimes can be very terrifying for them because as they're walking up to the unit, they're wondering what is today going to bring and what are they going to find when they get here? And even if we call people and inform them, 
there's a lot that can be very scary about how will the day go? And I, I talked to a number of NICU mothers who report, and it's a national phenomenon. And when you read some of the literature, one of the things that we'd love to try to address is putting, helping to decrease the level of post-traumatic stress that these NICU moms report when they leave here. They hear the, the bells and whistles from the monitors in their sleep. When the phone rings in the middle of the night, the level of panic that that might bring, that there's always some level of concern about when is my baby actually going to be okay now? When do I have to stop worrying about whatever the side effects are and whatever this um, problem is going to be that's going to be secondary to a NICU stay? And some things you won't, we don't know when we have a baby that leaves here seemingly taking food by mouth. So there's a lot that we do for follow-up when these babies go home. So there's early intervention that is standard issue. There is a NICU follow-up clinic that we invite folks back to so that we can help monitor milestones. We work closely with pediatricians. We send follow-up notes from the NICU so that they're up to speed on what the care has been and they can help follow these babies. Sometimes we'll do a visiting nurse if we think that would be helpful for moms just to make sure that bridge the gap of going home and that somebody is helping them when they're doing the care for the first time at home. So we really do try to make that transition as easy as possible, but we understand that taking home a healthy newborn is terrifying. Taking home a baby that's been cared for by nurses for two, three, four months, and now that we hand to you and say, here you go, your mom, go for it, um, is equally, if not more terrifying. What makes you passionate about this work, about helping families with premature babies? Because you've been a social worker for over 30 years, but about half of that time has been with the neonatal population. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my, my love has always been family systems and helping a family uh, take on a, a complex child or deliver a baby. Um, the transition from how quickly when you deliver a baby to how amazingly they are under your skin and in your heart and leave you feeling so incredibly vulnerable that my interest in helping a family pull together the strengths that they have um, so that they can move forward as a family and look at whatever barriers they have and then look at their historical family systems how were they raised? What lessons did they take from their grandmother? What did they learn from their mother? What did they learn from their family? And how do dads want to be dads? What do they hope that they will pass on to this child to help families sort of refocus about what they want to bring and what they see for their family, regardless of what um, may happen for this child in terms of their developmental milestones, but that this baby will be the best baby in their family. And that will really be up to how they see that, what their goals are and what they want to bring to this. So helping a family think about that is really what my passion is. That's amazing. They say from the time that many women find out that they're pregnant, they have already envisioned so much of what that baby's life or childhood is going to look like that anything that sort of compromises that or takes some of that away can be really difficult for people. Yeah. What are some good resources 
for families with premature babies? There are some really um, good websites um, for preemies that we um, have a little list that we give out in the NICU so that when families come in, some of them are apps that talk about um, baby development so that you can sign on for that. There's an excellent book. Um, it's a preemie primer, um, Essentials of a Premature Baby, that lists gestational ages week by week. And we give copies of that to families when they come into the NICU as well. Um, there is a Rochester Facebook page for families um, to think about um, just experiences and sharing, things like that. There is the March of Dimes that also has some really great resources um, for premature babies um, that families are eligible to look at. And then there's um, issue-specific resources um, that may not be apt for every premature baby, but um, for babies that are born with the potential for trisomy 21 Down syndrome, there's a wonderful organization in town, the Flower City Downs Group. Um, and off of that is Gigi's Playhouse, which is a wonderful resource for those families. Um, so we really will speak with each family, see what people expect. Um, there's a, a organization in Rochester called Daystar, which will do medical daycare which is huge. So for families that um, want to maintain their work schedule, that don't have the ability to stay home if their child has some medical equipment that they leave here with um, after their preemie care, um, Daystar will help that baby, um, and baby and take care of that child during the day while parents work. So Rochester's pretty fortunate in that we do have a number of really great resources. Um, and that the other role as a social worker is to make sure that, you know, once we look at a family and figure out what they're eligible for, whether it's an insurance resource or an added insurance or supplemental security income, which many premature babies are eligible for, we will hook them up with those resources when they go so that families will have a, a number of things that they can rely on when they leave here. If someone is interested in pursuing the work that you do, what is some advice that you would give to them? I think social work, first of all, is a, an amazing career. Um, and there's a lot you can do with it. So even if you're not sure exactly if being in the hospital, you can be a school, you can work for the community. There's a number of different organizations. I think if you specifically wish to target medical social work, um, to look at the school that you want to apply to and make sure that it's one of the things that they have um, a placement for. We have... Um, easy two dozen social work students that we house here at Strong Memorial Hospital in Galasana Children's from local uh, universities um, that do master's and bachelor's in social work. Um, and once you have a placement here, it, it really does give you an opportunity to see our institution, get comfortable with the work. And, and frankly, we hire <laughs> um, students that we have because we've developed a relationship with them. So I think if you wanted to target medical social work, um, look at the school and find out where their placements are and see if it's something that they, they do offer as a specialty. Where can people find out more about Galasano Children's Hospital and the, the neonatal intensive care unit there? I, I guess I would go to the Galasano Children's Hospital website. Um, it's very robust. We actually also have a NICU uh, tour. Um, that is on that website as well. So if you go into the NICU specific area of Galasana Children's, um, you can take the, the video tour of the NICU and see what it looks like. Um, 
There's different pages from resources, things that we offer. Child Life also has a lot of great resources on there for um, things to do with your baby, things to do with siblings when your baby's born to help them be a part of the family and understand. So there's a lot of great resources actually on the website as well. Excellent. We started with something that was a little bit fun and we'd like to end with, what is your favorite thing about Rochester? I'm a, I'm born and raised Rochester. So this is home for me. Um, I guess I just love how much there is to do. I am a cyclist and I just love to bike in the Finger Lakes and um, in the fall, there's lots of places to go and cider mills and wander out with my husband now that my kids are launched. So it's just, there's always something to do. And I guess I like that a lot. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thriving Forward podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Kids Thrive 585 Inc., the Huckelman Center at the University of Rochester and Rochester Regional Health. To learn more about today's guest, head over to kidsthrive585.org and click on the podcast link. See you next time. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of their employers or funders.